Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. 2018 was one of the most egregious shows of voter suppression in the state of Georgia. With 25 days until the election, the Republican running for governor is being accused of voter suppression by his Democratic opponent. Well, growing allegations of voter suppression are emerging in the hard-fought race for governor in Georgia. Brian Kemp is not only the Republican gubernatorial nominee, he's Georgia's Secretary of State, and now civil rights groups are suing him, claiming that Kemp's office put more than 53,000 voter registrations on hold. And Monday, dozens of black senior citizens southeast of Atlanta were ordered off a bus bound for the polls for early voting. An analysis by the Associated Press shows that nearly 70% of those voter registrations are those belonging to African Americans. And now, black voters in the state, looking back on that election, are doubling down on their efforts to ensure that their vote is counted. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch, and today, Maya King on how with just four days until November 3rd, Georgia's legacy of voter suppression is driving historic black turnout. Tell me what happened in Georgia in 2018. A couple of things took place. One, the thing that we all saw that really made a big difference was the long lines at polling places. Well, if you were out voting yesterday, you experienced what everybody did across the state, and that is long wait times, and and more specific here in Metro Atlanta. One of the biggest challenges for state officials today has been voter enthusiasm. Many places were simply overwhelmed. Not enough voting machines or poll workers, and in a few cases, even temporary shortages of ballots. People who were waiting to cast a ballot waited for anywhere from two to six to even 12 hours at the polls. Another aspect of this was Georgia's electronic voting machines. Georgia NAACP is filing a complaint about touchscreen voting machines in four counties. And 2018 was one of the first years that they were widespread and a number of them malfunctioned. The group says it's received reports of issues in Cobb, Bartow, Henry, and Dodge counties. And according to this complaint, several voters say they tried to vote for Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams, but the machines instead chose Republican candidate Brian Kemp. So that very obviously got in the way of people's ability to cast their ballot. Finally, we know now that more than 100,000 names were actually removed from the voter rolls in Georgia. The election is just two weeks away, and as people statewide show up in record numbers to the polls for early voting, the Washington Post reports that an American public media analysis discovered that 107,000 people were removed from voter rolls for not voting in prior years. And some of those names were people who were actually still active voters. When they got to the polls, they had to fill out provisional ballots, which would not be counted until the day after the election. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. And when Stacey Abrams lost, the margin of votes that she lost by was almost proportional to the number of votes that were either removed from the rolls or forced to fill out provisional ballots. But to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. 
What have the Secretary of State and other officials been doing to try to improve the system there? So after the 2018 election, with all of these issues in mind, a number of voters, not just in Georgia, but really across the country, were side-eyeing the state. And I think it's pretty clear that the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, took note of these things. And they've really, they've tried to make sure that there's a level of transparency in the way that they're administering these elections and really just highlight some of the things that are going on in the state. So the Secretary of State's office has posted a number of figures about the increase in turnout, the increase in mail-in ballots, the number of voters who have cast a ballot to date. These are all things that they have really made sure, um, you know, the public is aware of. And I think it's made a difference in voter confidence, which only is going to increase turnout. And now, as of eight o'clock last night, the total numbers of ballots cast in Georgia is above 3 million. It's 3.4 million now. And to date now, that has evened out to about an 80% increase in total turnout, which is still absolutely remarkable and um, has given Democrats a lot of confidence because they know that built into a lot of these early voting numbers are large numbers of voters of color and young voters. And those are the people that they need to win. Yeah, you're reporting that some of the experiences and issues um, that we saw in 2018 in Georgia are fueling record engagement, record turnout in the state. I mean, some shocking numbers like Georgians under 40 early voting is is more than three times what it was in the 2016 election, nearly 600,000 young voters in the state having cast a ballot already. Can you explain what exactly is behind that? I mean, I know you've been doing reporting on the ground in Georgia. What have you been hearing from the voters there? So I spoke with one woman, um, Aurelia Gray, who is a polling volunteer in Fulton County, which saw in 2018 and again in June of this year, um, really long lines, malfunctioning voting machines, and just a lot of issues with the way the elections were administered. And so not only did she cast her ballot, but she also signed up to be a volunteer and now is working um, in her county to make sure that the election is going smoothly and that voters not only cast their ballots safely, but that there's a level of confidence in their casting a ballot. And every time a voter left, even while she was talking to me, she would stop to say, thank you. Thank you for voting. Thank you for casting your ballot. And she told me it really matters that folks not only understand that they're a member of their community um, and that they're doing their community a service in casting a ballot, but that they're feeling good about it and that they're encouraged to do it again, not just for the general election where everything feels like it's on the line. It is definitely cold out there this morning. Grab a jacket if you're heading out early to vote because early voting does continue this morning. And Mara Sirianni is live in Cobb County. Mara, that line already looks pretty long behind you. What people have been out there for how long already? Voting for over an hour? This is pretty much what we've seen all week here, a line wrapping around the building here, again, at the Cobb County Elections Headquarters. So I spoke with another woman in Cobb County, Joni Blount, who had an injury and was unable to wait in line, but wanted to uh, just to make sure that her vote was counted because she had concerns about whether or not her vote would be counted if she mailed it in. 
And so I met her when she was actually dropping off her ballot in the ballot box because she felt like that was the next safest option. And I think her story is also proof positive of Democrats messaging to voters in these battleground states. Every vote matters. Every vote will have an impact on the outcome. Here in my state of Georgia, we have seen unprecedented engagement. Up to 800,000 voters have requested ballots but haven't returned them. You should either drop off your ballot in a ballot box or wait in line early and just make sure that you're, you know, seeing that your vote has been cast. So I am joining in uh, Leader Abrams' call for action uh, and urging Americans across the country to get their ballots in and to get them in now. And Joni listened. She let me know that she was um, a Democratic voter and that this messaging from Democrats had really stuck out to her and she wanted to make sure that she was voting as safely as possible while also accounting for um, her own personal concerns. Georgia isn't the only state that's been under scrutiny over claims of voter suppression. And, you know, it's part of a long history of suppression in the U.S., particularly for black voters. Can you contextualize where this state and where this election fits into that history and like what it means for the future of voting rights and voter engagement? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Where Georgia fits in here is, you know, it does have a sordid history of voter suppression, particularly over the last two to three years. But you're right. These are instances that really do take place across the South and across the country. And it has its roots in the 2013 Shelby v. Holder Supreme Court case. At issue, a decades-old provision in the law that requires nine states, mostly in the South, to get approval from the federal government before changing voting laws or procedures. Justice Antonin Scalia called it a racial entitlement. It gave states the permission to make changes to their their voting regulations, their voting rules, without having to get clearance. And a lot of states, especially states in the Deep South, really took advantage of that and really changed a lot of their rules to make it more difficult for certain populations to vote. And that's how you get this mass removal of names from voter rolls with no kind of notification to voters. I think this election will be a test of not only how effective these measures have been to limit the vote, but also, and it's it's kind of unfortunate, but really it's it's what we're seeing as well as the resiliency of a lot of these voters. People are really passionate about casting their ballot. They understand what is wrapped up in this election. And Black voters look at this vote as a survival vote and the next four years as pivotal. That's part of the reason why they're willing to wait for for long hours. And that's why you see these messages from folks who are saying, I've packed my lunch or I've got like my lawn chair with me because they know that the lines will be long and they're prepared to do that because they see that it's important. Maya King, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Also today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she's still hoping to clinch a massive coronavirus relief deal with the White House before the end of the year. That's despite the fact that she and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin have basically been at a standstill on negotiations for months, 
with talks continuing to stall over the past few days, killing hope of any relief before November 3rd. On Thursday, Pelosi said she still wants to advance a bill before the start of next year because, quote, first and foremost, the American people need help. Though with Joe Biden gaining ground in polls, some of her own lawmakers are skeptical that President Trump or the current GOP-controlled Senate would agree to a giant stimulus package in the wake of potentially massive Election Day losses. And the World Health Organization says Europe now has more than 10 million confirmed cases of coronavirus. The WHO's Europe director warned on Thursday that with 1.5 million new infections reported last week, the region has reached a new weekly record for confirmed cases and is, quote, at the epicenter of this pandemic once again. Meantime, India has now surpassed 8 million cases of the virus, making it second only to the United States. According to Johns Hopkins, the U.S. also has the largest number of people killed by COVID of any country in the world, with more than 228,000 people confirmed dead. The Politico Dispatch production team includes Jenny Amens and Sadiq. Ready. Our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Pulse Check, Politico Energy, Women Rule, Nerdcast, and a new Politico podcast called Global Translations. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>